Welcome to the Culture and Inclusion Podcast. This podcast is for you if you care about diversity, inclusion, and belonging. It is for you if you want you and your workplace to become more inclusive. I am Nadej Minois and I'm passionate about cultural diversity. In this podcast, I will share my experience and knowledge to send you on your way to becoming inclusive. You will also hear from guests, experts in the field and sharing their experience with cultural diversity. To make sure you don't miss an episode, hit the subscribe button now. And now, let's begin with today's episode. Hello, welcome in this episode of the Culture and Inclusion Podcast. I'm so thrilled today because I'm receiving Tom Hannigan as my guest. So who is Tom? Well, he'll introduce himself. All what I'm going to tell you is that Tom is a recruiter. He has a lot of experience in recruitment. And basically, today I'm going to pick his brain uh, to discuss uh, from a recruiter point of view the topic of diversity and inclusion when company wants to recruit um, people. And so I met Tom via LinkedIn. We connected and soon afterwards we had uh, a chat and uh, obviously there was a, a, an affinity, common interest around diversity, inclusion, and all these processes. And even so that we actually decided to uh, write an article together uh, about how to make recruitment process more inclusive and things like that. So I'm really, really happy here today to receive him and have uh, a more in-depth discussion about this topic. So Tom... Welcome. And my first question to you is, what should our listeners know about you? Thank you, Nadej, and thank you for hosting me as well. I'm really looking forward to having a conversation with you as we've spoken a few times now. And I know I've always learned quite a bit from you. So um, it's really nice to be able to share our experiences and talk a bit about inclusivity and diversity uh, in the recruitment process as well as elsewhere, you know. Um, so yeah, my name's Tom Hannigan. Uh, I've been in recruitment now for uh, five, ne- maybe nearly six years actually. Uh, and I typically work nowadays with startups or, you know, um, medium and, and large size organizations that are established, maybe growing quite quickly and need some help setting up their recruitment function in maybe a new country or hiring lots of people in a short span of time, or maybe a challenging skill set. So uh, we do a lot of technical recruitment. Um, And as part of this, I suppose I've been in the privileged position to sit in conversations with directors, uh, managers, C-level executives, when they're talking about their plans to grow their business, uh, when they're talking about how they plan to bring new people in, uh, and what that looks like, as well as on the HR side, um, speaking to those uh, representatives in terms of what they think that that should look like, and maybe trying to bridge those two together. So my job's kind of finding candidates, bringing candidates to the to the organisations, but also helping them with their strategy in terms of how that should look. So diversity and inclusivity comes up quite a lot as, as part of that conversation. Thank you very much. That's yeah. That that's very uh, very informative. And and what I see here is is really the 
the two sides of uh, of this process basically the side of the company who wants to uh, to hire people and then also your side how do you well how do you find the people basically for you know, that the company might want to uh, to to hire so I, I i can really see that that interaction and, and that you really have to work together and um so I really like that uh, kind of inside of you, as as you say, you know, that allows you to to sit with the executive teams and to understand better the whole strategy of the business. So to plunge directly into um, our our topic today, how often do companies who come to see you to recruit people how often do they come to you mentioning things like diversity inclusion that's a good question and i'm, I'm actually quite pleased to say that it, it is something that's important to most companies that we work with um and it, that's not just from the hr team who you would imagine would be you know have their finger on the pulse of this but actually the executive teams are pretty consistently talking about this as well um, and even sometimes when it's not mentioned explicitly uh, it's assumed that you're aware of this as a as a recruitment partner and that you should be kind of bearing this in mind so it's it's definitely something that organizations are aware of and are motivated to improve um, that's been my experience I've done a bit of time in two different sectors like I said mostly IT now or at least tech companies um, but I did do uh, a, a brief stint in more construction-related recruitment at the beginning of my recruitment career. And that, that was quite a different environment, actually. Uh, and there was not so much talk about it in construction, which maybe would be a, a stereotype or a cliche, but I definitely found that in reality. Uh, and the way people had these conversations was quite different in both sectors. Um, but generally speaking, now, most, most organizations that I work with are interested in diversity and inclusivity. Mm, that's um that's good to know and yes yeah that's true that it will completely depend on uh, on on the industry and that just historically and, and just how it's been some industries tend to be much less diverse um they tended to to recruit only certain types of uh, of people because it was so that it was more specialized jobs so i i can uh, I can fully understand, yes, that it, it depends of uh, on, on the industries. But I'm really glad to know that actually it is something that appears to be in the mind of quite a few of the companies that um, that come to you, that come to you to uh, to, to to recruit. And um, can I ask you what kind of um, what kind of questioning they kind of have about it and 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 how they see that before coming to then your side of uh, of of the thing how they approach it mm-hmm. that is a, now that's a really interesting question because that's where we can start to see where a company is going in the right direction and where are they maybe not going in the right direction or you know they're only really at the surface level and there's a couple of anecdotes that maybe i could share with you uh around this because i think that paints a bit more of an accurate picture and 
There's also some interesting cultural differences in approach to diversity and inclusivity based on where the organization is based uh, and who you're dealing with. So um, it's a very, very hot topic in America at the moment, for example. And so when I've spoken to colleagues in the US, um, they they sometimes have quite a a narrow view of what diversity and inclusivity looks like. still their heart is in the right place. So this is not a criticism of them because they're obviously trying to move things forward. But an interesting case was where uh, a large multinational, you know, um, several thousand employees this this organization had headquartered in the US. And there was an all kind of HR recruitment talent uh, meeting where they were discussing their strategy for the, the next, you know, six months to a year in terms of recruitment and of course diversity inclusivity comes up and the leadership team from the US side said okay we really are looking for these metrics you know this percentages of people to be uh, part of our company in the next year Uh, in fact don't you know if you're working on a position and there have there are 10 candidates in the process five should be this five you know five should be this uh, and then we want these kinds of racial backgrounds and so on. And it's quite interesting because from the British side and the, and the, the European side, you have to raise a hand and flag things. So some of these things are actually not, you're not able to uh, legally really ask for those specific character yes. profiles when you're yeah. recruiting. So, yeah. um, and the leadership team on the US side were a bit taken aback, actually, and a bit surprised that that was, that was the case because, you know, from their perspective, that was one of the tools that they were going to use to improve the diversity and inclusivity in their business. Um, but of course, you know, they had to realize then that you can't just say, I want people with this ethnic background because we don't have enough at the moment. Go and find me those people because that has caused discrimination uh, in its own right. Um, yeah. And so they prioritized uh, gender diversity in the European markets and then tracked um, you know, more, uh, you know, ethnic backgrounds and so on more closely in, in the US market. So there was no real conflict. There wasn't anything underhand, but uh, that education had to come forward a little bit. And interestingly, in that same call, we're talking about this wider strategy for this very large company. Um, a colleague of mine who uh, is disabled himself and, um, you know, these kinds of things are very close to his heart. Um, raised a hand and said, you know, we've been talking about diversity and inclusivity for, for quite a while on this call and for over the last few months, it's been part of our strategy. I'm just interested to hear if there is any sort of uh, plan around our diversity and inclusivity for people with disabilities. And that was also met with a little bit of surprise. Uh, and again, I don't think through any malicious process or um, bad intention, but uh you know, people hadn't thought about it, you know, leaders hadn't thought about that as something that they needed to think about. Maybe at the back of their mind, they had thought that it was just um, something that people were already doing because they trusted their their team to, to think of these things. But there wasn't anything that they could communicate more broadly. Uh, and so that, that was quite interesting how, you know, even a team that are pushing out a message of diversity and inclusivity are missing some of these things that, you know, you might see as foundational uh, as part of your strategy. Yes, yeah, no, that's um, that that that's right, and uh, it's definitely something uh, that we 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 observe that um, in some country and especially the U.S. it's very metrics driven, 
mm-hmm. and, uh, and and you have these, these categories and and I guess it, the fact that companies may focus on some categories at some point in time might also be the kind of more general discussions around in you know in the media in society when uh, um, you know where's black life matters and all that all this this movement then suddenly there has been a, a higher um, involvement and discussion about racial issues uh, and knows it so so they might be thinking also just depending on what is brought to the attention of people at that point in time. And, and it's true that they are so, well, diversity is so diverse, if I can mm-hmm. say, that it's definitely hard to, uh, to, to think about all types of, uh, of diversity. So, yeah, so thank you for this example. Yeah. No problem. Yeah, That's, yeah, it's a good one. And there's, there's lots of yes. similar examples of organizations who are, trying to do the right thing but maybe need that kind of guidance uh and insight of people who maybe think about it um and are really taking into consideration different cultural expectations different locations what's realistic you know um quite often we are you know speaking to organizations who are in a location um such as where i'm based you know just outside of cardiff um in, which is a very homogenous area. And so they are sometimes concerned that they'll get measured against a yardstick uh, and compared to com- companies that are based in London. Well, of course, you're going to have a more diverse organisation in London because the demographics of the people that you can employ is, is very different. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and there are parts of Wales and I think Scotland as well that have like a 98% white British um, background. And so you know, you're never going to get an organization that's the same kind of melting pot of cultures and experience and backgrounds and attitudes as you would get if you're in London or New York or another kind of uh, metropolitan center. So that's something that we we try to support organizations on. And obviously, there are some things that you can do that still support that, such as, you know, remote working. Um, Flexibility is obviously a key one that benefits people, not just from a working life balance type thing, but also from the diversity and inclusivity. Um, one thing I would say as well, uh, it, that's quite interesting is there's still very understandably lots of discussion about women in tech, um, mm-hmm. you know, and women in STEM more broadly. Now I have never encountered, and of course I'm a man, so this uh, might not be, well, it's likely not representative of what uh, women in tech might experience, but, on the recruitment side, listening to people, uh, both male and female leaders in the space, talking about it, I've never seen any firsthand evidence of discrimination against women. In fact, I have seen many organisations, despite knowing that they're not supposed to ask this, really ask for female developers or female you know, technical project managers or whatever it is, and say, can you help us find these? Even though they know that they're not really allowed to ask that. Um, and there's an unwritten rule that um, those profiles are, um, you know, very attractive to employers and, and get snapped up quickly. And, you know, people really want to, to hire those, uh, those kinds of profiles. So it's interesting that um, despite uh, not really supposed to be able to use that kind of discrimination to, to um, change the demographics of the organization, um, 
you know, leaders will take that risk and, and say it anyway. Um, and of course, my answer has to be, well, I will send you the best people for the job. Um, Absolutely. But of course, you know, there's this implicit understanding that um, if a female uh, developer is found, that, that that will be looked on favorably, which is quite interesting. Mm. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely, definitely, it is, it is. And so now if we go to kind of your side, so as you very clearly explained, um, mm. there cannot be discrimination for, in that case, for certain type, not against, for, well, it means against others, but for certain types of um, of candidates, like you say, mm-hmm. uh, racial background, gender, or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, the, the company would be interested in. So, so obviously, this, this is not uh, a possibility. But as a recruiter, what mm-hmm. kind of options um, and what do you try to do to basically encourage as many different people to to apply because in a way that's that's where diversity uh, will come is that from from the source you want I guess you you want diverse people to to apply mm-hmm. um, so what what are strategies that you you are using uh, if you, if you want to tell us for instance um, that you know can can be used to uh, to encourage people from very different backgrounds to apply. Yeah, that's a good that's a good question as well. And there are a few things that you can do here to um, improve the, the the process of recruitment uh, and make it more um, equitable uh, and appealing to to all backgrounds. I think I start with saying to an organization, look, um, what is your policy? Do you have a policy? Um, because I think sometimes that statement of intent, that statement of, um, you know, commitment to, to following these kinds of practices means that uh, an organization starts to take it more seriously than just paying lip service and, and talking about it on a surface level. I also think you can then make a statement in, say, a job uh, advert you can put that um, somewhere to make it clear that people are welcome. Now, this is interesting, something that I see much more common in the US where um, organizations will, will put a statement about um, they want people from all backgrounds to apply. There's no discrimination. Yeah. They yeah. encourage that. So yeah. I think that's something that we can learn from our US counterparts um, because you don't know when someone might be umming and ahhing about applying for a job and it, it might not be to do with anything that is obviously discriminatory in the the text of the job but you know sometimes it can be hard to to know what might be uh, a point of resistance for someone applying to a job so that can help overcome that i also think it's important to write your job description in simple language um i have a slightly unusual style of writing them and i keep my my job description very simple um because i think sometimes organizations from a practical point of view as well, they, they're very focused on telling everyone how great they are as an organization. And I don't think that was very effective for recruitment for anyone, diversity, inclusivity or not. You know, I don't think it's um, good sales writing, if you like. I think just like uh, any sort of communication, less is more simple, uh, focused, um, giving an accurate description of what it's like for a candidate, 
to join, uh, I think is, is the most important uh, part of that. Uh, and I think that helps on the diversity and inclusivity front as well, because you want to paint a picture of what it's like to be at the organization, not just uh, talk about how great the organization is and what awards they've won, because people don't really care about that um, when they're reading a job description, in my experience. Um, I, I find it interesting, I've had a few organizations uh, discuss uh, and some really commit to anonymized CVs, so where um, we would do it either manually or put it through a CV anonymizer um, before then it arrives at the hiring manager's desks. Now, I'm a little bit unsure of the effectiveness of this personally. I read a study, but I, I can't say that I, um, uh, I'm skilled enough to really interpret the results and really make an educated um, interpretation yeah. of them. But I've read a study that said that in some cases when you anonymize CVs, the person who receives it um, is actually more likely to come up with, uh, or more likely to end up with um, people from, I say, like non-native backgrounds to, uh, they're, they're less likely to progress. And this is because yeah. if you have someone's name uh, on their CV, you know, there's this idea that maybe people will not choose them because, oh, they're not familiar, they're not going to be British, say. But actually, people are more likely to give them the benefit of the doubt if the English isn't so good. But they say the technical skills mm. are still up to scratch. Mm. Um, and so actually hiring managers, because most hiring managers are not, you know, are not racist. They're not sexist. They're not, um, they're not interested in discriminating against anyone. They just want the right person as well. Uh, and so by giving them a little bit of control uh, and letting them see the profiles from top to bottom, they tend to say, oh, look, this person clearly um, has moved here in the last three years. Uh, maybe English isn't their first language. But other than that, their profile looks great, so let's give them a chance. Whereas, of course, if you've got all the CVs anonymized, one looks potentially badly written and one looks well written. And so it becomes an easy decision for the hiring manager to make. So I'm, I caution organizations against this unless they really have a good grasp on what they're trying to achieve and why they would do that. Um, but those are a few of the steps. Um, you know, the interview processes is something that we, we have to look at as well. Um, the classic being, you know, if people can attend an in-person interview, how, what does that look like? What does everything from what does the building look like from a accessibility point of view to um, what does uh, the time uh, flexibility look like? You know, because you've got yeah. uh, parents can make some some calls and uh, not others, and sometimes not others. Um, travel requirements, the cost of travel mm. as well. Is that being reimbursed or is that... Um, you know, becoming a bit of a thing that would eliminate people who, whose finances aren't uh, as strong as others. So there's all these things that go into it. Uh, and I, but ultimately, I think a simple process, a simple job application is always, always the best for everyone. You know, like I said, whether you've taken into consideration diversity, inclusivity or not, I think less is more. And a simple process is probably the best way forward. Thank you very much for all this insight and uh, and yes yeah I'm I'm a fan of less is more definitely and uh, and and I agree with you to uh, just to keep it simple you know when when I see job descriptions that are well first of all very long words so much information that actually as a potential candidate you don't need to know at that stage really. Yeah. And, and also usually that 
very long list of requirements mm -hmm. <laughs> also yeah. that definitely can put people off um, mm -hmm. because we know, for instance, from studies that um, women are less likely to apply for a job if they don't fulfill really all the requirements. And mm -hmm. so so these kind of things. Um, yeah, so I, I, I like this idea. Um, your take on CVs, anonymized CVs or not, was, I thought, very, very interesting. Because um, obviously, you know, you, well, you would say it's kind of counterintuitive because it's true that people say you need to anonymize CVs and, and we hear these stories of people sending exactly the same CV with mm -hmm. a foreign sounding name or they're basically a real name, but mm -hmm. foreign sounding name and then um, a name sounding like a typical name from the um, the, the dominant background of the, the country where they apply and, and mm -hmm. the CV uh, with the familiar name uh, gets so so you know you've got um, you've got all these uh, all, all these stories so so I thought it was very interesting to uh, to 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 have your take and and it's true that also um, something I read is that well the CV may be anonymized you may not have a name and and you may remove some but your brain. <laughs> when you read the CV, when the hiring manager, well, unconsciously, mm -hmm. the brain is going to infer things about the person from whatever information is left in there. Anything that can give an idea of the gender, of the background, you know, the schools they've been to or whatever, um, the the background, the age of the person. So so your brain anyway will try to, to make sense of, of that, mm -hmm. which which it's true in a way might be even worse. Um mm -hmm. because because then biases can come in, you know, and it, it's unconscious, but you know they they might come in actually stronger. So that was very, very interesting. Thank you so much. Yeah. I think there's a, a yeah. time and a place for it, and it depends on where the organization sits. And maybe, um, you know, you can look at metrics, right? You can, you can, this is where I think some metrics can be useful. You see, okay, where are we now? And uh, you can look at historically, most organizations have some record of applicants and who is successful. So you can start looking at those things, and then yeah. you can say, okay, yeah. maybe we need to do this for a period um, because that's an issue in our business. Um, but maybe some businesses, it's the other way around, you know, like we said. So I think um, remaining flexible uh, and, and as I'm sure you're an advocate of, educating your internal team as well um, can, can help with this kind of thing. So, yeah, I think case by case basis for, for anonymizing CVs, I think it can have its value. Um, but as long as it's grounded in, in data, uh, I think is, is the right way forward. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So it's such an interesting discussion, but uh, unfortunately, we'll come to uh, towards the uh, the end and uh, so begin to wrap up that. So I would like to uh, to ask you, as a recruiter, and both kind in, in general and uh, in light of diversity and inclusion, what pieces of advice would you give to a hiring company? 
I think if you're an organization, if you're looking to hire for your team, I think really the the best thing to do is to stop and have a think before you start this process and make diversity and inclusivity something that you're aware of before moving forward. And that doesn't mean you have to, um, you know, make every role exactly um, you know, balanced with what the community around you is uh, has as their makeup in terms of percentages. But in terms of how might someone interpret uh, our, you know, our job adverts, our hiring process, our culture once they join, um, who may or may not be excluded from from this process, uh, and how can we make sure proactively that we are maybe welcoming and have steps that practically help people from different backgrounds join us? Um, and like I said, you know, easy ways are offering remote working. That's such an easy way to 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 improve this kind of thing. Thinking about the language that you use in interviews, in uh, job adverts, on joining. Um, think about how people are educated. If there's lots of good resources out there and it doesn't have to be a huge top to bottom business transformation. But I think once you start dipping your toe in, you realize that actually it's not so complex. You just have to be uh, aware and thoughtful in terms of how you move forward. Thank you very much, Tom. That was really a great advice. Thank you so much again. And so now my last question for you is mm -hmm. for our listeners who would like to continue this discussion with you, what is the best way to get in touch with you? They should definitely uh, connect with me or follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can just find me by searching Tom Hannigan, spelled H-A-N-N-I-G-A-N. Um, and that's where I produce most of my content, to be honest. Uh, and I'm going to be doing some webinars uh, around diversity and inclusivity actually soon, uh, as well as some uh, more recruitment focused content as well. Uh, and also some career focused stuff for people who maybe are looking at improving their own career and want to move up the ladder. So LinkedIn's where I kind of hang out mostly. And uh, yeah, you can always reach me there. Okay, thank you very much, Tom. And I'll put the link to your LinkedIn profile in the description of the episode so like that people can uh, can get it easily. Thank you, thank you so much for accepting my invitation. It was uh, a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you as well, Nadej. Uh, I'm sure we'll end up speaking again soon. So I uh, really love picking your brains and finding out about the... Uh, some more of the uh, diversity inclusivity stuff that I'm definitely missing. So uh, every time we speak, I learn something new. So thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much. And yes, we'll definitely have more chat. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you for listening, everyone. And uh, I'll see you now in the next episode. If you listened to this point, it is that you probably liked what you heard. So subscribe, leave a review, share the podcast. I would be very grateful for it. Last, I want to record credit to bensound.com for the music in this podcast. Until next time.